Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. Last week, a divided Michigan Supreme Court declared that state government departments, along with former Governor Rick Snyder and the emergency managers he appointed to run the city of Flint, must face a civil lawsuit related to their mishandling of the city's lead-tainted water crisis. Here to talk with us about what this means and what happens next is someone who has been at the center of the Flint water crisis and the quest for justice for years now, Congressman Dan Kildee, who represents Michigan's 5th Congressional District, a Democrat from Flint Township. Dan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Are you there, Dan? Yeah, I am. Oh, there you are. Okay, I got you. Uh, so let's start with your reaction to this statement by the state's Supreme Court. Well, it's a step. You know, it's a positive step. I, I've said for a long time that justice for the people of Flint comes in many different forms. And, you know, one of those ways uh, to seek justice is through civil actions like this in the state courts. Uh, so I was happy to see that the Michigan Supreme Court didn't block this most um, in this most recent action, did not block this class action case from moving forward. The people in Flint are still suffering from the consequences of the Flint water crisis. And I was pleased that the court did not take sort of a, a very strict, narrow uh, construction of the rights of people to seek redress through the courts. Uh, so I was very pleased with it. Um, obviously, we don't prejudge how these cases turn out, but the people of Flint deserve their day in court. Hmm. I, I imagine that the potential liability here is really, really big, and that's one of the things that I think we've been talking about since the Flint water crisis happened, which is how do you repay people who have been wronged and wronged by their government. I, I, I wonder what you make of the prospect here of getting justice for people in Flint and what, what that will take. Well, it's a good question. And I think we have to keep in mind that the reason that the liability to the state is so great is because the cost to Flint residents is so great. The two are the same. Yes. You know, the, the cost that Flint residents have experienced is the calculation of the liability that the state might have to fund. And and so I think it just is what it is. The people of Flint deserve justice. This was a set of willful acts taken by a callous state government, more interested in shaving pennies from the bottom line than the future of a whole population of people. Mm. And so if it comes with a high price, that will have two effects. One, to provide some justice in the form of compensation to the people of Flint. As important, it will send a chilling message to the future to any state government or any governmental body whatsoever to take great care to not repeat the mistakes of the Snyder administration um, regarding this, this, whole, this whole case. And sadly, I think there are too many examples where that potential still exists, where the obsession over austerity, the almost religious adherence to the smallest, least effective government in the minds of some has a consequence. And Flint is a, is a case in point that those consequences can be very serious. Mm. 
I, I also wonder if you can just give us an assessment of where you think we are with getting justice for people in Flint. That's not just about lawsuits and money. It's also about fixing the problem that created all of this. It's about investment in the people of Flint going forward. Are we are we headed in the right direction in your estimation? Well, I don't think we're I don't think we've done enough. I don't think, you know, obviously it is my belief that the state has a much more significant responsibility than they've stepped up to. And these um these civil cases, I think, give us the opportunity to reach at some of that justice. Uh, I do believe that justice will also come in the form of holding individuals liable for their own actions through the criminal process. Again, I'm very careful never to prejudge charging decisions or decisions of the courts, but that's a process that had to get essentially had to be restarted. But the, I think the bigger issue, and you've alluded to it, is how do we get Flint back to a place where it doesn't still deal with the remnants of this case? And that will, that will require a lot of investment. That will require incentives for private capital to come back in, because who knows what the lost opportunities were uh, as a result of this crisis. The reputational loss mm-hmm. that Flint has experienced has had an impact on its economic viability. And so, you know, what we've been pushing, and this is not just for Flint, but so so many of the other left-behind communities, we've been pushing uh, an investment strategy for America's older cities, older industrial cities that have these these uh, legacies of the past. That's one way to, to, uh, to compensate the people of Flint for what they've gone through. Uh, to, to, to reinvest, to create opportunity, to not have a community that in the case of the water crisis had one manifestation of this, I think, really grotesque level of austerity, but still has the other manifestations, parks that are not mowed and maintained, mm. public services that are just barely provided. That can only be fixed if we fix the way we fund communities. You know, and it sounds like a boring subject, but we have a municipal finance system in this state that's completely broken. Yes. And until we fix that, it's just a matter of time, you know, whether, you know, when there's another case like Flint, perhaps not as well known, perhaps not as notorious, but the consequences are real. This, this obsession with austerity is real, and, it's, and we are paying a heavy price for it. So speaking of austerity and funding, I also want to talk with you about the $600 unemployment enhancement, which ran out last Friday for some 30 million Americans. And there does not seem to be a solution in the near future to figuring out what to do with that. What are you hearing and seeing as far as the possibility of a replacement or extension for that funding. Is that something that is even possible at this point? Well, um, you know, 11 weeks ago, we passed an extension in the House of Representatives. It was my legislation, as a matter of fact, that was included in something called the HEROES Act, which is our multi-pronged approach to sort of the next step of of coronavirus response. The Senate uh, really didn't do anything, uh, hasn't passed the bill, 
and until the last few days was unwilling to even negotiate on the subject. Now they are, because I think they're starting to feel the heat from constituents who stand to lose everything. And so we are in negotiation right now, um, and it's essentially the House Democratic leadership negotiating with the White House, uh, with, with Secretary Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, largely because Mitch McConnell basically works for Donald Trump and takes his direction from Donald Trump. So I'm happy that Secretary Mnuchin is now engaged because we've got Senator McConnell's boss at the table. It's a shame that Senator McConnell has so abdicated his responsibility that that's the way it is, but that's just a fact. So now we're down to trying to negotiate a deal. I think we'll get one. Uh, I think it's a shame that we weren't able to get it before uh, those benefits expired. Uh, that's a lifeline, not only for the families that benefit from it, but that unemployment benefit has been a lifeline for the entire U.S. economy. Yeah, it's $10 billion dollars a day that we're taking out of the economy by right. getting rid of that $600 enhancement. That has an effect on everybody. And the truth is, of course, is that if if that benefit is allowed to continue to um, you know to have expired and isn't replaced, unemployment will actually go up. The demand for more unemployment benefits will go up. So anybody who thinks we're saving money by not providing a lifeline to these American families needs to enroll in a freshman year economics course and just understand that there's a consequence to pulling those resources away from those families. When they can't make purchases, when they can't go to the grocery store, when they can't go to the pharmacy, when they can't pay their heat and their light and their rent and their mortgage payments, it has a cascading effect on others, on everyone else who is connected to the economy. And so, you know, folks who want to just turn this into some sort of an argument over whether or not people deserve $600 a week, which I think is a bizarre argument, but some are making it. Mm -hmm. They want to turn it into an argument over that and ignore the economic realities. We're going to be in for a world of hurt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Congressman Dan Kildee, Democrat from Flint Township. Always great to have you here. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, that's going to do it for me today. It is not too late to sign up for our WDET Book Club virtual meetup that is happening tonight at 8 p.m. Details and registration are available at WDET.org slash events. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>